Welcome to the Retail Tea Break. Each week, I'll be joined by industry experts, retailers, and product creators to decode the myths, share knowledge, and give you a better insight into the industry. My aim, as always, is to empower retailers and product creators to reach their potential. So, grab your cup of tea, sit back, relax, and listen in. My name is Melissa Moore, and this is the Retail Tea Break. Today, I am joined by a woman who is bringing the worlds of tech and retail together with this incredible immersive shopping experience. I am so excited for today's conversation because I think to a lot of you, the words we hear and the stories we hear and the tech and what it can do for your company is completely new. Today, I'm joined by Kira Sheehan from Orb Media. Kira, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the Retail Tea Break. You're welcome. It's great to actually talk about this technology and how far it can take us. It's fantastic. I'm so excited. And look, to be honest, many people that know me will know I think I'm a technophobe. I'm not sure of some of these things, but what you've done and what I've seen has really grabbed my attention over the last year. It seems incredibly accessible. It's exciting. It's immersive. It's so innovative. And for me, I really think this is the future for retail, for across the sector. So I'm delighted that you've joined me today. So before we kick off in, in the nature of the retail tea break, in the time it takes to boil a kettle, which is about two minutes, tell me a bit about you and the brand. Well, I don't really know what to say about myself, except that I've been consumed and obsessed with all things immersive since about 2016. So in 2016, Samsung launched their very first little tiny golf ball camera called the Samsung Gear, and they launched their first headset. And my background is kind of media, journalism, sales, marketing. So I'm a good all rounder. And as soon as I saw the technology, I was like, oh, my God, this is scalable into all of our lives in every aspect. But it was really early at that time. So even though we were building um, VR at the time and some, some AR projects, the screen tech wasn't there to deliver it seamlessly. The networks weren't there. Um, there was glitches. There was problems with Android and iPhone, which I know still exists for a lot of people, but it wasn't deliverable on a mass market at that point. But at the same time, I couldn't leave it alone. It was a niche I had to scratch. So um, my two co-founders and I, we kind of started to test out the market um, just to see where it would work and where it wouldn't work. And we kind of we went to protests, media events, launches of products um, we supplied some content to Samsung because they had this hardware but they had no content um, and we kind of engaged with them to help them educate newsrooms and educate customers as to how they could use the tech because at that time VR and immersive was just for gamers with massive high power PCs who never went out in daylight and you know who didn't really engage so for me I could see the potential of immersive tech but at that time, it was a very, it was a very solo experience. Like it's meant to be com a community-driven experience with everyone online. It's actually quite a, quite an isolating experience to be there on your own, in your own room with your own headset on, and you're distracted from the rest of your surroundings and your peers and family. So I was like, so it was a bit of a, it didn't work for me. The the the, the chemistry of it didn't fit. Because like you had this online immersive experience, but you were actually isolated in the real world. 
So sounds strange and almost very much how we've been in the last year with COVID, but you've really wanted to use it to bring people yeah. together. So we started to trial and test it in market sectors with different technologies on different devices. We did AR, VR, like we built bits of video games, you know, we've all done dungeons, helicopters and de demons um, to see where it would work. And, and, and we started to test it out like in hospitality events, that sector. And we could see that it was gathering momentum. Um, we published the very first 360 photograph in Irish media on the journal.ie at a homeless protest a few years ago. Um, and we, we knew from the traction and we, we just knew that people were really responsive to it. So we had users who were responsive. We just had to get customers and clients to engage with us, to pay for it so that we could bring, the, bring it to the next level. Sounds so exciting. And for you to have the foresight to know that they had this almost piece of equipment, you knew how far you could bring it. And then, as you say, to bring your background and mash this all together, it just sounds incredible. But for people who don't get it, and I'm sorry, before I met you and I understood exactly <laughs> what you did, I didn't get it. I'm going to be really honest. I'm old school. My kind of version of websites is almost very flat, like that old school, really old Amazon model of flat 2D grid system. Explain to people watching and listening exactly what it is that they see or what happens. So if you're shopping, I'm going to use the example of shopping for my children, right? Um, if I'm trying to buy a hoodie for one of my children, I have to go on Boohoo, ASOS, Google, Amazon, Stradivarius, the whole lot, right? And I have to go on them and I have to mindlessly scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. I see one version of the product. I don't get to see what the texture is. I don't get a description of it. I don't get a vocal description of it. I don't get a, a vocal review. I don't get anything that gives me trust in the product apart from a standard flat 2D photograph. So what, what Google have proven is that seven out of 10 consumers who shop online suffer from scrolling fatigue. And out of those seven, three will buy nothing at all. And I've done it. So you're, you're, you just lose the will, like you just lose the will and you just end up going back to one or two of the first items that you saw. And then you press and you, and you buy it, okay? So that's kind of at the, at the mainstream end. When you move the, that human behavior to the luxury end, which the pandemic has proven, whether you're buying a bag from H&M for 30 euros or from Hermes for 5,000 euros, your actual experience online is exactly the same. Yeah. Same front end, same back end, same payment, same delivery. There might be a bit of difference in the packaging, but effectively that's it. Mm. And I always felt that that's wrong. Like we shouldn't have to lose the will by scrolling. So what we do is we, we create a shopping experience that's discreetly gamified, that catches your attention and compels you to engage with your chosen brand or your chosen item for an extended period of time with your full emotional intentions. And that is the difference. You are not losing the will to live. You're actually going, oh my God, look at these shoes. The sole of the shoes is black the, with green spots or the inside of this has a lovely leather finish or I can see the inside of this handbag. I can see whether I'll have room in it or not, or I'm not so sure it looks a bit tacky. You know, you can get a real feel for your brand and your product, your designers. You can understand the heritage of the products. You can have little clips of 
where it's made, the artisan family, who the designer was, what their inspiration was. You know, you can really get really, really close to your brand when you shop in an immersive way, whether that's you're buying for yourself, your dog, your parents, uh, your children. I think everybody should still have the same access to immersive e-commerce, which effectively is what it is. Like it is driving brand awareness and bringing people closer to the brand, but it's displacing standard flat boring 2D e-commerce, which in my mind is so last century. Like, And it is. And I think especially with ugh, the fact that we were almost locked down, sat looking at our screens for the last 18 months, we are all bored of it. You're absolutely right. And you know the way you describe that there I can even feel it I'm smiling here and I'm getting excited because to me it sounds like you've taken the best of the physical experience in store to the best kind of knowledge of the skills of the staff members the best lighting it's the best touch and feel experience mm -hmm. and hey presto you can have that sitting on your sofa with your slippers on and it excites you and it makes you want to buy. Like the stats are phenomenal. 75% of consumers have a higher purchase intent after yeah. a 360 experience. That is unbelievable. Yeah, I know. Like we read a lot of reports in a lot of different market sectors, but we have the stats ourselves like to prove it. We did a luxury experience with them, a luxury publisher last year, and we had engagement times of 12 minutes. Wow. And, and we can command a zero bounce rate. So this year we pitched to a high-end international brand and we tested the product out um, and we were getting, we actually had 53 minutes at one point. And I took a screenshot and sent it to the lads and I was like, lads, is this real? Is it really real? And they were like, yeah, they were. And then we traced it back and we knew what part of the world somebody was very interested from, a few people. But like our, our average would be, say on, um, on, a, on, a, on a high end brand, a recent one would be about 17 minutes with 0% bounce rate and 88% exit rate. And that 0% bounce rate, like it does, it does vary, but it's very consistent. Like you might get like eight or 10% bounce rate over a period of two weeks, but the 0%, like I've taken screenshots cause I'm like, it's like, no one's gonna believe me if I tell them this, but it is true. But this is mind blowing. So for those of you listening, watching, that is so, so unusual mm. in this industry. It is unreal to think that you can hold a customer's engagement on your platform for so long. Some of us dream of doing that in physical shops. There is no way that's possible on these ordinary 2D sites no. that many retailers have right now. This is unreal so I suppose it brings me to my next question why do so many big brands big retailers fear it what are the barriers stopping them engaging with you to look at what you're doing a lot of it is a cultural reticence to still go with the bricks and mortar model and I can understand that because they're so invested and it's their comfort zone it's always worked it's their differentiator you know, in store um, and even brands like Burberry, you know, they've put millions into this massive interactive store in Shenzhen. Mm. Um, but still, it's you still have to get people in there, you know, so I can understand a lot of them. And what we've come to understand is there's a particular profile of marketeer who would have a different outlook and who would be prepared to undertake a, a test and experience project. 
um, before deciding to expand that out into their customer sector. But a lot of it is purely down to the cultural reliance on bricks and mortar. And I think the pandemic's really challenged that. The high street, much I do love the high street, um, but like it is, you know, showing signs of fading fast. Um, and I think between, there's a, there's a trend emerging um, actually in luxury where you have millennials um, who have all the skills online, but because they're not used to being interpersonal, they don't have the confidence in that environment, in a luxury environment, to pursue their purchase. Absolutely. The communication skills are gone. They're not the there. They really are. But they feel reason. intimidated. And then at the other end, you have the more, um, more well-established high net worth customer who would have the skills and would have the income to purchase in store. But because of COVID, they're mm. reluctant to, to engage. So you've got the two different variations that need to meet somewhere in the middle. And our product fulfills that need. And we know that because we've engaged with several luxury brands who've given us that feedback. Um, and, and I talk about luxury a lot, but that's only because luxury is traditionally, you know, more experiential. Um, it, it has a bigger budget. It has a bigger risk. And they can do things on a one-off basis before they become mainstream. But really, like this is for the people. It's not just for luxury. It's for everyone who ever had to sit there and do this yeah. with their two second attention spans. So in case you don't know this, a brand has two seconds to connect with a customer to create an emotional connection that will compel the customer to make an impulse purchase and reduce their moment of hesitation. Now, we've all done it like it just it's just too much. So, you know, there's there's several human behaviors that are driving the adaption of what we do. Um, and there's also several behavior, human behaviors that are impeding what we do. So it's a, just, it's a question of slowly but surely proving the model so that luxury take the risk and they prove the model and we have all the stats there to prove it, uh, to expand and scale our platform before it begins to become more mainstream and more general in all of our sectors. And talking about the money they have, and we know, of course, it's like high-end fashion. It eventually does feed down the line and it ends up in, you know, the buyers from our high streets then go and buy. And we all end up wearing the, maybe stuff that was on the catwalks three or four years ago. Do you see that happening with this technology? Do you think that one day, yes, of course, luxury retailers using it now because they have the money. But do you think it will become mainstream one day? Absolutely, because human attention spans are so low. This is all being driven by the infinite need to connect and the infinite disconnect. Like we've, we all do it. Like think about yourself when you're online shopping. Think about trying to buy sunglasses online. You know, couldn't get to a shop, had to get sunglasses. Oh my God. And then they arrived and they were like small money to some people, but big money to me. And I was like, this is like no fun. There's no fun in this. You know, there's no replication of the in-store experience whatsoever. So I just think as Gen Alpha come up, you are, we're really going to find that retailers are really going to have to connect with them in a more gamified way, whether they like it or not, because that's all they're used to. 
That's fascinating. And I love the fact that you really talk about the emotional connection here. I think over the years, we've looked at experiential retail being physical, the emotional connection that the staff have on the shop floor with the shopper when they come in, the emotional connection you have with the atmosphere that you've created, with the lights, with the smells, with the touch and feel. But what you're saying is actually, this is all possible sitting on your sofa with your slippers on if the investment is made in the tech. Yeah, we actually have a, a function in our experience where you can have a one-to-one -one private Zoom call within this room with the person showing you the product in store. That's amazing. So that's, that's like phenomenal. a private sales room. That is what you call private shopping, you know. And then it's done in your time on, on your kind of, your level, especially if you're a busy woman working or you're someone that doesn't have the time to be dragged around shops like many of us don't, that actually you now get to see those products, touch and feel when you need to. But also then you're getting the best of both worlds because if that experience is tailor-made specifically to you, I'm presuming that the ROI is even higher. Well, the ROI is extremely high in terms of stats. We're about to test the revenue element of it very soon with a luxury supplier. And um, we have a number of projects coming up. Obviously, it's a very confidential market. Um, but I know from all the research I've done, I know from Euromonitor, you know, I know from the luxury industries exactly what's achievable here. Um, and the ROI, in comparison to what you would normally spend, hold your breath, not be able to measure. You don't know where the ad fraud is. You don't know where the, the click farms are. Are people watching your video till the end? Do you get any feedback on the video? You know, do you get a chance to connect to the customer personally? You don't get any of that. Whereas yeah. we're saying, okay, this is how many people watched. This is how many people lingered on the red shoes. This is how many people liked the pink bag over the blue bag. So do you know something? Don't invest in manufacturing in the pink bag for 50%. Only invest in manufacturing the pink bag for 20% because the other color is more popular. So you actually have the data that we in old school physical retail would, God, this sounds terrible, would literally stand and stalk a customer and watch the hotspots, yeah. where they touch, where mm -hmm. they look, how they kind of guide themselves around a store and look at the flow. Yeah, you can tell all that. Yeah, but the, the beauty of it is that it's more valuable. And I'll tell you why, because when you go into a store, the store is merchandised and it's merchandised with what the brand wants to sell you. And you can go left or you can go right. And they understand a huge amount about the emotional aspects that drive you to go left or go right. So they are feeding you what they think you want to consume. When you go with an immersive store or immersive experience, you as a brand get to understand what the consumer is really interested in. And that is more valuable than what you think they're interested in. Because then you, once you have that base knowledge, you can then feed them more of what they are interested in. So if you're the type of person that walks into a store and goes left towards suits instead of turning, going right towards shoes, then you can be then fed that information over a longer period of time. Whereas in a store, you could lose that customer because they have to go to the back of the shop to go to suits. They might be bothered. They might just go, oh, can't be bothered. It's upstairs, can't be bothered. I'm not going up the stairs. That's phenomenal. That, mm. that really is. Knowing then that you are 
this again, it's like personal shopping. You might have one full umbrella brand, but actually when Melissa comes onto the platform, I know Melissa likes shoes. Let's just ensure that she has the best shoe shopping yeah. experience today, as opposed to boring her with anything else. Like, yeah. it's incredible. Like, I can't get over this tech. I cannot get over it's not being used more because sales have to be amazing of the brands that are looking this way because it it doesn't sound like anything can go wrong with it so I suppose I have to ask what are the pitfalls or what would you like to see it expand to in the future well I think it's a completely scalable platform um and I really want people to be like collecting their children from school on a bus on a tube and I want them to go oh so there's a new collection out, uh, you know, oh, and it's reduced and it's on sale so that they're engaged in their daily lives so that the technology is embedded in their daily lives and that it's for everybody, you know, and everyone can benefit from it commercially and environmentally because there's a huge sustainability message here. And that is that if I can't get close to the product I want, right? So I was in the market for a handbag for ages. And I kept looking at Karen Millen, thinking, I really like that bag of the gold chain. I really like that bag of the gold chain. But I didn't buy it because I couldn't, I couldn't get to a shop. I couldn't see that it was suede. It looked like leather, but I wasn't sure. Um, the description was vague. It didn't tell me what the, the length of it was from the shoulder to my hip. I couldn't envisage it on me, so I didn't buy it. And then it was discontinued. And then I was like, oh, I should have bought that. So instead... I went to the local luxury outlet and I bought two substitute products, which I subsequently gave to my mum, right? So therefore I bought two products, impact environmentally, when I could have just bought the one product and it would have been a long-term product, a higher purchase price, a better investment, and it would have stopped me buying those other two products, which are now just gonna end up being used and they're gonna go into the planet at some point. So there's a big sustainability message there in terms of our overall, our overall global carbon footprint that I think would really work for brands once they understand that the closer you let the consumer get to your product, the more they're going to love it. They're going to stick with it. They're going to build their loyalty. They're going to come back. They're going to be your customer from cradle to grave if you manage it properly. And if you do things like create a digital twin, so a digital twin would be, say that Karen Millen bag, say if I could have downloaded a 3D model of that to my phone, I would have been like, oh, it's got little brass studs at the bottom. Oh, it's not going to get wrecked if I put it down on a wet surface. You know, I could have said, oh, it's got four, four little pockets on the inside. I'm not going to lose my phone every time. But I couldn't get that close to it. So, you know, cost, you know, consumers need more. You know, they need to really feel it. Obviously, they can't because they're not in store. But, you know, things like digital twins, things like 3D models, things like heritage videos, you know, why was this product designed? Who designed it? Who designed the gold chain? You know, like, where's the suede from? All those type of things, they're all linked to sustainability as well. So there's a, there's a big dimension here, big dynamic that can be uh, kind of expanded to tell the whole story, you know, and that is really how you get your customer and get their loyalty, subconscious loyalty. I'm, I'm in awe of this because I'm going to be honest, I didn't realize or I didn't think about the sustainability message. But actually, before that, coming back to what you said about understanding how you're going to use this piece in your life, because if you've twinned it, you're suddenly realizing, oh, hang on, then when I am on the bus, 
I can put it on the floor because it's got studs there and I'm not going to ruin it like my present bag. Or actually, this bag really suits my life because my laptop will go in neatly yeah. there. I can bring my other things. Suddenly, you're already living with this bag before yeah. you've bought it. And that is key for yeah. any anything we buy right now, as you say. It needs to fit the way we live. The way we live personally is changing and we're all so different. If you can build the model to say, Melissa, here we go, work with that, look at that, feel like you can actually touch and feel and live with it in your life before you buy it. Hey, presto, you have me hooked. And I'd say sales will really start to move if people know that they they can work with this, they can live with this piece. But then it moves on to the really important point you made there. And it's not something I realized that this is part of the sustainability movement. Mm -hmm. This is something that's really, really going to help drive it forward. And actually, it's interesting, the last few episodes of the podcast, this message, the sustainability movement keeps coming back. Doesn't matter what part of the industry you're in. I think it's something that we're all aware of as people within the industry. Consumers are definitely more aware of it now. But we also know that they will pay more yeah. with a brand, with products where people are more conscious of sustainability and that are really driven towards working with it, not as a fad, not as a trend, but will embrace it within their values, their brand values. Well, I think brands have to really be um, aware of that, especially if they're dealing with Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Gen yeah. Alpha are a totally different ballgame. Like they are not going to take any of the stuff that we've taken. Like it is not happening. We um we tested one of our experiences on a group of 14-year-old boys. Wow. And it was a primarily luxury experience, which was kind of really designed towards women. And we were like, do you want to shop this way or do you want to shop the way your mom shops? And they were like, there's not a chance I'm going to shop the way my mom shops. This is what I want. And I watched them in the room um, and they were all engaged. Like they didn't lift their, their heads up off the phone. They did under their their iPads. They did not lift it up because I thought if anyone's going to give me a reality check, possibly one I don't want, it's going to be a group of fourteen year old boys, and that was the feedback we had. That, and this like, is the it, generation that we're told don't have an attention span anymore, don't communicate with each other. It's just like it's from one one kind of screen to another, yeah. and they don't stay on things. But you've obviously proven that's completely wrong. Well, it is because it's discrete gamification. So we are trying to produce a little bit of dopamine in your brain to make you happy. And when you're happy with the product, you're happy with the brand, you've got a warm feeling, you're going to spit, you're going to press buy now. You're not going to hesitate and come back in the next day or the next hour. You're going to press it now because you've got that dopamine. And the dopamine, the combination of dopamine and data is really how you, we build a platform moving forward um, to eventually, you know, apply machine learning to it so that, we will know that, so this, so this is phenomenal. This is a bit of a mind blower, right? So say, so me and my sister, she's taller than me, okay? So if the two of us were to sit down and look at exactly the same experience, our experience will know that my sister is taller than me. So it will show her the same model, a model with the same caramel and handbag, but it will be shorter on her model than it is on mine because she's taller than me. So that's where we're heading with machine learning and AI. That's where we're heading in five years time. So for yeah. anyone watching this on YouTube, I am gobsmacked. Like yeah. oh. you're visibly gobsmacked by what you've just said. No, honestly, that, I swear to God, that is wow. where we're heading with it. That, so every time you click on a hotspot, we track your behavior journey and we understand your data and we understand what you're interested in, what your behavior is, what your emotions are, how emotionally connected you are. 
So the next step up from that then is that as we get more and more users on the platform, we understand them and we apply machine learning to them. And once you start to apply machine learning, it builds and builds and builds itself so that we understand that my sister who's taller than me is going to look different. So she's gonna need a five foot eight model with the, with the Burberry bag. I only need a five foot three model with a Burberry bag. And we can program it to do that. So this is even next generation personalization. Like yeah, we, yeah. we talk about this trend now as in using people's names, you know, specifically putting their data to what we buy as in club car points or something really very simple. But this is the extreme. But I have to say this, this is exciting because if you know my shape, my size, my height, you're blatantly going to show me on screen what you think I'm going to buy before yeah. I know I want to buy it. And hey, presto, you have a shopper for life. And this for me is the key to selling. It's the key to amazing customer experience. You're giving me what I need without me having to ask for it. And of yeah. course, I'm going to become a loyal customer. Yeah, and you'll be totally engaged. When the next collection is released and it's immersive, it's not like 55, six foot models who weigh an average of two and a half stone walking down a catwalk it's actually personalized towards you and the products you like whether whether it is that we know that you like 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 pink oversized skirts or you know um heritage burberry uh max it will be tailored towards you because it will know that that's what you want to look at like i i constantly look at um every season's release i constantly look at every catwalk how they're doing it and it is amazing to watch and it is a wonderful piece of art and they spend a fortune on them. But really, it's like McDonald's. You've eaten it and it's gone. Yeah, and also a lot of us can't relate to that. These models don't look like me. They're not my shape. They're not my size. <laughs> but I do think there's something to be said nowadays that personalization needs to mean that, especially when it comes to fashion or high-end luxury brands. It needs to be my version not their version as you yeah. said earlier it has to be my version of the brand yeah and I have to know that that pair of boots with that pair of heels I'm going to be able to run up to collect the kids from school because I'm late and I have to know I can run in them you know and there's no point in me in them being on a silhouette of a of a, of a, of a six foot fairy like because it's just not going to happen do you know so there is like real world application for it that will make shopping a lot easier and a lot more enjoyable instead of this mindless scrolling just it's just a killer like it's a brand killer and it has to stop and I know look there's been a huge emphasis the last 18 months obviously with with retailers and I'm going to say the average retailer on the main street in the towns up and down the country getting online it's like phase one build a website get customers to shop with you do you ever think that these retailers will be able to use the technology you have or is there a version do you think in the future that they could actually layer on for their small retail shop yeah down so the country. it's obviously you know we've really been serious about this the last say three years where we've actually branded ourselves as our media but we've a couple of years like experimenting with it and we see our future as a self-serving platform so the high street retailer who sells customized their little tiny gorgeous teapots you know in the back of a garden center that they can go on and put the put their, their take a photograph of their teapot you can send that to a company like 3dm um, or uh, the digital twins where they can then replicate that into a 3d model and you can just pop it into the platform and it'll appear it'll, it'll appear 
as a front end in exactly the same way as 2D websites do now, but it will be accessible to everybody. Now that takes a lot of investment and a, a lot of time. And um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely in the plan, but I think for it to, to be on everyone's phone, you know, at every aspect of the market, you're looking about five years time that the, it'll be a self-serving platform. That's amazing. I also think that gives the consumer time to realize that this is the way to shop because look, so many consumers, my mother's not going to mind me mentioning this, but my mother didn't shop online before COVID. She's fairly used to it now. And I think that also gives the consumer, the average consumer time to, to be okay with that because this is also new and to a lot of people the you know immersion of tech into so many aspects of our life the different industries is brand new it's a bit scary so I suppose as and when you can help and support the average retailer which is phenomenal that it's it's going to happen that actually mm -hmm. the consumer in that in that time over the next five ten years will also be ready for it um which is amazing and I think it's so exciting to think that this immersive technology that you have done so much with you know is something coming out of Dublin it's something that you've done incredibly well I'm so proud of your brand and what you're doing and so excited that there's so many more aspects to it than I even thought of especially with the sustainability aspect there's so much you're doing it's it's so exciting well it, it is exciting it's it's also a massive challenge and it's really easy to overthink it because my vision is that you know, we have this data bank of consumer um, emotional behavior um, and that we can help brands, we can apply machine learning to it, and we can also make a massive impact in the environment by stopping the, the manufacturing of surplus goods because consumers will make a more qualified purchase and it will lead to a better environment for everybody in the long run. You know, so it's and to be able to say like that you're going to displace 2d e-commerce people think i'm crazy people think i'm yeah. not like yeah that's amazon you'll never displace amazon i'm not here to displace amazon Absolutely. amazon is not a shopping experience it's a logistics company you are moving a product from one part of the world to the other we are helping your emotions move a product from one part of the world to another to your home that's the difference so you know we are here to displace 2d e-commerce and, and you know that's a big mountain to climb but when that the next step I love this. So watch this space. Um, and with that said, Kira, thank you so much for today. It's been incredible. It's been informative. Um, I've learned so much myself. So thank you so much for joining me. Welcome. You're welcome. And if anyone has any questions or wants to discover more, just pop me an email, kira at orbmedia.ie. Absolutely. And look, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please like, share and subscribe to the Retail Tea Break. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you thought about today's podcast and this incredible immersive experience that all media are so heavily involved in. So until next time, thank you.